Hello, Sarah. Hello, Kim. How you doing? It's Friday and it's beautiful out and it we have wonderful gorgeous. guests. So oh, I'm, I'm doing so great. <laughs> yes, I know. I've been looking forward to this. I was going to say all day, but it's really been all week. I've been doing my little bits of research and I'm so, so, so excited about these guests. I can't wait. So we should, we should get to them right away, shouldn't we? We shouldn't drag out the mystery. Is that what you're saying? No, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, go for it. All right, so we have um, Sally and Mary here, and I'm going to let them quickly introduce themselves. They are students in college right now, and we got introduced to them through the amazing Cami Pastor, which we've had on the podcast several times. But let's see, who would like to go first? I can go. Um, my name is Sally Gabriasis. I'm a sophomore at Virginia Tech. Um, my major is international public policy, and I am the co-founder of FTP along with Mary. Yeah, so um, I'm Mary, and like Sally said, like I'm the co-founder. It's also spelled FCK The Press, a podcast that's basically all about, you know, bringing politics and a little bit of our opinions to students as much as we can. I also go to um, VCU in Richmond, and I am a political science major. Great. So you two were friends in high school, is that right? Yeah, so we like met in high school and um, it was really strange because in high school, I think it was like in 2016 during the election, like um, it was really hard to talk to people who like understood how much like I cared about what was going on because in high school, especially like at sophomores and juniors, that wasn't really what we were thinking about. So it was really cool because like Sally was always the person that I would like go to talk to about something if it was like bothering me or like an issue I was hearing on the news or something, especially during the election. I think like that's when we became like super good friends, I think. Yeah, I would say the same thing. And that was going to be one of my questions is have you always been so tuned in with current events and political news and so educated about our political system? Or is that something that has developed in the past few years since you've been in college? So when I was younger, my dad would always watch CNN. He would come home at six o'clock, eat dinner, and then from like eight to nine, um, he'd be watching any kind of news that was out and it was mostly politics. And I had to go to sleep at nine, so all we got to watch was politics. And <laughs> I, was, I got, I think, six grades when I started sitting down and truly watching with him, but he always like, he would allow me to talk to him about it, but he always told me, don't speak about it unless you can understand your own opinion because I didn't he didn't want me to be his echo and I obviously don't want to be his echo either and then that's when it started becoming like why I think the first question I had was why is this allowed why is this happening why can they say that why can they do this and the more and more that became my interest I think I was probably in eighth grade by the time that I felt like this was something that was like my passion and then all of high school but you can ask Mary and pretty much like all my close friends, that's all I talk about ever. Like, it's so, so important to me now. Um, and I think it got amped up in college because in high school, I understood when my friends didn't want to talk about it and people around me didn't want to talk about it because, you know, we were 16, 17, like we can't even vote. We can't even, or at least people assume that you just like, it doesn't affect you. But I think coming to college and seeing that that mentality stays with people drove a different kind of passion for mm -hmm. me too. Yeah, I mean, I definitely relate to that. Um, we both come from like uh, very African households. I'm Ethiopian. And so my dad was always very into following not only American news, but Ethiopian news and like what's going on over there all the time. And so I think for me, when I started getting super into it was in middle school when I would see everything that's going on in Ethiopia, like 
um, and try to like understand the history of all of it. Like, you know, like they went through such like a tumultuous time with like a civil war and so many different government like regime changes. And so I really wanted to understand that. Uh, and I think that was the time that I felt like, okay, like this is something I'm really passionate about, whether it's like American politics or international politics. Like, and in high school, I was really driven to, you know, research that. And I, it was really hard for me because I wasn't able to talk to that many people about it because Sally was like one of the only people who like cared in high school, which like, again, it's easy to see like why high schoolers aren't necessarily, you know, like at the forefront of uh, like talking about politics. But again, when I came to college, I think that was around the time when I was like, this is like what I'm going to do with my life. Like, this is what I love to talk about. And like, I want to help solve the issues that everyone's complaining about all the time. Do you think that's changed? Oh, sorry. That is awesome. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I have so many things I want to say. Do you think that has changed in the past few years? I hear you talking about how when you were starting to wake up and learn and when you're like parents who deserve all of the parenting medals from what I'm hearing, um, (laughs) did the work to include you and get you invested and and passionate. It sounded like maybe your peers weren't as actively involved and as an old person reading about it, it seems as though young people are more involved with politics than ever. Do you see that happening and changing around you? Have you sensed that kind of movement starting? This is a hard question, but I think what's scary is that I think that it only exists because of the climate that we have right now, given the president that we have and his opponent, because there's such different extremes of the political spectrum. I think that's what's getting our generation to like really stand up and and vote and um, make their voices heard. And I think once that the fear is that once that dies down, that we can't trust that this like renewed passion or um, interest will stay. But I think you are correct in saying that, you know, even now there's more young people that have voted for the past, like in this election than we've seen in the past decade. So I think it's definitely looking up. And I think that now that they've seen how bad it can get, we never want to get there again. And that's going to motivate a lot of people in our generation to, to vote. I also think that like social media plays a huge part of it. Like when Sally and I were in high school, which it's not even like it was that long ago or anything, but you know, just a couple years ago, Instagram wasn't as popular as it is now or like Twitter for high schoolers. Um, And now it seems like every high schooler who's like above the age of like 10 has like an Instagram account. So I think like that has played a huge part, both like in a good and bad way, because I think it encourages people to look outside of their community and see what's going on outside of them. But it also can help in like the spread of like misinformation as well, which, you know, can be a real problem, especially in um, very crucial elections like this one. Good. I want to get to misinformation and I want to get to your podcast. But before we leave high school, I got to know, did you have any teachers that encouraged you that that saw that passion? I definitely would say like my, um, I was very involved, like not even in politics specifically, but like in um, the marketing, like, like chapters in my school, like we had certain clubs and stuff and I was super involved. And there was this one teacher who was like the head of all of the clubs and in, in that within our high school. And while it didn't necessarily contribute to me, like directly in politics it like taught me how to like to market myself to people which I think is like so important in this you know like the podcasting industry 
or in politics in general. And it also like taught me like how to fundraise and like how to find organizations that I really, really respect to devote my time to. I was very involved in like breast cancer projects because of the way it's personally impacted like me in my life. And I was only able to do that like through the help of this teacher. So I definitely would say he was definitely a very big influence in my like high school career. I think high school was definitely different for me. And there's not one teacher that I can point out because, you know, during our four years, Islamophobia and racism were at the center of um, what was talked about in politics. And even though teachers try to create safe spaces, I think they definitely draw the line of how raw that conversation can be. And I never, like, I never felt like a conversation was started where a teacher would have known that, that side of me where I was passionate about politics and could answer questions that were maybe not interesting to other kids. But I, we had a principal our senior year and we got to talking and he would, he'd always play like devil's advocate with me and he'd like um, share some of his opinions and like I would share my opinions and we talk back and forth and not argue, but we would definitely debate and I tease him and he teased me and like it was definitely in those moments that I saw, like, I felt like I was being treated like an adult. And um, those conversations definitely pushed me forward because it got me to see what other people could think or um, how to formulate my thoughts better, even though I was like, not that I was doing it bad before, but like, that definitely helped because he was like, you know, probably 30 plus and had like was older and, and was trying to give me the the perspective of older people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that definitely helped. But I don't know if any a singular teacher um, helped push the passion. Good. Thank you for sharing that. I, you know, teachers out there, tap into these uh, amazing students who already have these passions. That's, that's well, always and the my, theme, my... Yeah. <laughs> Talk to them like adults. Because yeah. when you're spoken to like an adult, you rise to think like an adult. Like it was, it sounds like it was clearly in both of you waiting to be recognized and to be nurtured. And I'm so, so thankful having listened to your podcast and seeing the impact that you're having, that somebody saw that. And sometimes as young girls, we wait for permission, I think, to have strong opinions. And yeah, like it's okay that you speak out and that you have an opinion and you, you are allowed to think and talk and explore. And it is I look forward to a time where that's not necessary and that girls know that they don't have to wait. But until then, it's good to know and good to share with our listeners who are educators that girls are waiting for that and that somebody's got to be the one to extend that invitation. So you're going to separate places in college and you have this idea to have a podcast. How did that come about? It's, it's really funny because it wasn't planned at all. But me and Mary last year, our freshman year, hung out. She had actually called me before our hangout and was like, we were just talking and ranting and, you know, complaining about having no one to talk to. And so we met up at Starbucks near our house, like the Starbucks we always go to. And Mary literally said, let's start a blog. And I was like, no. I was like, I'm not doing that. And then she's like, no, 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 hear me out. And she had this whole idea and she told me all about it. And we went home and made it. And the podcast didn't start until like four or five months into the blog. But even then, Mary was like, okay, so now we can add a podcast. And I was like, no, I'm not adding a podcast. And she was like, yes, we are. And so she (laughs) told me the idea again. And here we are. (laughs) Yeah, that was such like a crazy time just thinking back to it. Because we were like in the middle of our freshman year. And we had just started getting used to school and everything. And then I was just like, let's just make it worse. Like, I was just like, let's add so much stuff on top of it. (laughs) But it was like so, so worth it. 
Like, I, I think, like, I, I can't speak for Sally, but for me, like, it's definitely something that I look forward to every week because Absolutely. even though we try to, like, not make it, you know, into, like, a ranting session or whatever, we, we do, we're able to get that out by having a set time, like, talk to each other because I think we always try to view it as, like, a conversation more than anything else because there already are, like, news outlets out there and podcasts that deliver the news. So I think when I'm, and like, when we're able to do that, um, it definitely not only, like, are we producing something, it also, like, helps me, like, get out my thoughts and kind of, like, filter out, like, what I want to say and, like, what I'm thinking about what's going on, because there's always stuff going on. So I feel like we have that same um, situation going on with our podcast that's, <laughs> you know, getting to connect with each other and get our thoughts out, and especially during the pandemic. <laughs> So why don't you tell us about the podcast and the blog? What, what was the purpose? What are, you, what are you hoping to share? Who do you hope is listening? What kind of interaction have you gotten? Things like that. The point or like, you know, our kind of like objective in the beginning was seeing how much of like an untapped audience like students were as a demographic because 18 to 24s are viewed as the least active in democracy in terms of like voting or um, especially in like local and state elections. I feel like there aren't that many media companies or projects in general that cater to, to people like our, our age group basically. And we saw that and it was really frustrating, especially at a time where there's so much information that is out there and you don't know like what's true and what's false. And it's hard like going to like CNN or like, you know, like any established um, news source and sifting through all of the the articles that they put out and all of the reporting that they do. So for for me, um, I was like talking to Sally in, in that Starbucks and we were so frustrated because we're like, not to say that we know any like everything at, by any means, but we were like, we feel like it's hard to talk to our friends about politics because we do the work on our own to like educate ourselves because we love to. and. We wish it was easier for other people to feel educated in what they were talking about so that we could actually have the conversations that needed to be had. And I think that was like the whole the whole objective of, of starting it. And it still is like today, like we, our goal is to get students to formulate their own opinions on what's going on through the facts. And while we like, you know, we, we definitely like like say what we what we think about what's going on but we want to present it in a way that's like accessible and digestible for people our age Mm -hmm. and not just for people who are like older than us and at least for me um when I got to college and I had my roommate we would always be talking and I'd say did you see this about any given topic and I'd have to explain to her what it was and then she'd be like okay but why does like why are you bringing it up like why does it matter and I'm I started to realize that it's not that they don't, people don't want to know, especially people our age don't want to know. It's that by the time it gets to an article, there's so much information that's missing that you feel like, okay, well, it's, it, it already happened and I don't want to learn everything about it. So I don't care about what's going on right now. And even, even words that we use in, in politics, like, I mean, I can't think of one right now, but even like words that you talk to describe instances or concepts and stuff like that, people didn't understand. And so I think we want to solve the problem. Like I understand that not everyone is going to be passionate. Not everyone's going to want to vote and do all that kind of stuff. But for the people that do want to do it and are just like, look at politics and they get, they get thrown away because it's too hard or too complex. We wanted to be like the solution. And I want people to know that like me and Mary are literally just two college students. Like we are 19 and 
what we are willing to do the work so that every single person at least understands what's going on, even if it doesn't push them to do more. One of the things I really appreciated about your podcast is you are open about the fact that being knowledgeable and staying up to date is work and that you have to put a lot of time into it and that you willingly do that. And you also kind of extend a hand for people who want to be involved and want to understand, but aren't necessarily willing to make it a full-time job. It feels like you create a really accessible bridge for people who want to know more, but don't necessarily want to make it their whole lives. And there's, there's space for all of that, I think. And one of the reasons that there's an increasing amount of space for people who want to know more, but can't necessarily handle the full brunt of it is because of podcasts like yours that uh, break down barriers and invite people in and say, if you're not a political science major, if you don't spend hours a day researching articles, there's still a place for you here. You're still welcome. We hope you'll still vote. And it doesn't mean you're not smart and you're not a part of this movement. I really appreciated that. That's really nice that of you to say. A lot, yeah. Yeah, that means like a lot because- that was like our whole point. Like, that's the reason why we wanted, you know, we want people to not feel like stupid or like that they don't, that they're not quote unquote, like smart or like an intellectual because they don't get it. Because that's what we were told, like when we were younger, like in, especially like living around like the DC area mm-hmm. and having people around us, like our friends, parents and, and things like that, who are very involved in politics. It's hard to feel like you're not smart enough or you're not educated enough on the things that matter because of the climate that we're in, especially. And there's like a lot of judgment, I feel like, especially like when we're talking about growing up in that kind of area, I feel like. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, that's such like a really nice thing for you to say because <laughs> that means a lot to us because I just really want people to know like you don't have to major in political science to like go and feel educated and confident in your vote or to feel confident in what you're, what you're talking about with your friends over dinner or something. It's important. It's, I mean, it's really, really hard to kind of dip a toe in. If you're as someone who is not an engaged voter and did not fully understand our system, and I, I'm being generous, I still don't fully understand our system, um, but who joined later, if you let the intimidation of not understanding 100% of it keep you from ever jumping in, you'll never jump in. (laughs) So um, I'm really grateful for things that make it possible for people to join in and learn and take away the stigma of being a beginner whenever it is you decide to become present. I think another problem, especially in today's age, is we're just inundated with information, right? Oh my so gosh, it's just yeah. so hard to sift through what's real, what's not. Sarah and I are very passionate about misinformation. And, you know, we did a lot of work with fourth graders mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, even at that age, start understanding what that means, what that looks like, and how they can, um, what do you call it? Insulate them? Not insulate. Inoculate. Sort of like get a, you know, prepare themselves, right? Get the tools that you need. Yeah. So I am very curious, what are like trusted sources for you? How do you deal with misinformation? Yeah. I think, and this is a huge, huge topic and me and Mary talk about this all the time, but I think first of all, we have to talk about misinformation in our generation. You have to look at Twitter and Facebook. And I think the problem with social media sites is that they allow any singular person to use what, like three, four sentences to describe entire concepts. And so many people, especially in our age group, will read something, a tweet or 
like um, a title, a headline or anything like that and then run with what they think it means. And that's something that you cannot do. Twitter is a good place for you to say, okay, this is trending. Oh, wow, what is this? And then go research what it is. But it is not the end all be all of your information and, should, and it should never be, right? Mm-hmm. Even when you follow, like I follow AOC and I love her and I trust what she has to say, but she's not the only source of information. A lot of good sources like me and Mary talk about um, how we read AP News, Al Jazeera for foreign news. I'm trying to think of more. BBC. Mm-hmm. What else? What? Mary, you can help me out with this. <laughs> um, no, I'm really trying to think right now. I think like anything super established, I would go with like CNBC, um, NBC. As long, like to me, the, the way that I kind of um, know whether what I'm looking at or not is like a trusted source is corroboration if you're not able to find like like if you find an article and it's a standalone article and there is no corroboration for what um, it says then most likely it's probably not true and I like you know coming from like uh, my seventh grade years when I thought that everything on the internet was true like (laughs) definitely like a like a change but even like like you said with like teaching fourth graders like I've been trying to talk to my siblings about this as well just because not only with news but with anything there's so much misinformation online because of the amount of information that there is and I think it's super important to like I said like if you can't find any corroboration or any any way to see that what this story is supported by like any other fact or any other other stories because like especially when there's like breaking news or news that sounds, you know, super crazy. If it's only on like one website, most likely like that, there's no way that that's true. And so I think that's a really big part of our research as well before our podcast. Like we always triple check, double check our facts because misinformation is so alive and well, especially with social media and the ability, like Sally said, to literally have anything you want out there. And because, you know, none of us are able to filter any of that, it becomes a personal responsibility thing. It becomes like an individual responsibility to take that upon ourselves, which is why I think like other mediums like podcasts and other like companies, like media companies are super important because they, like you said, are like bridging the gap between having to do all that work yourself, whatever you found on social media that you're interested in. To go off of that, when you guys are talking about teaching fourth graders, from my personal experience, I remember learning how to research and how to look for bias, except telling us like to go on a website, like don't trust Wikipedia and go on a website. And if there's any words that are like good, bad, or, or adjectives like that to describe something, it's usually biased. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that bias isn't presented stuff like that to us anymore. Mm-hmm. There are entire stories that are told that you can't point out the bias unless you've read two or three articles and said, well, I didn't see this. You can't go to one singular article or podcast or any source of information that you have and point out bias because the manipulation tactics that they have are so high and so complex that you're not getting the true story no matter what you're listening to, right? Because there's always three sides to the story, one, two, and the truth. Like, And I think that it would do more people well to learn that side of news in high school or in middle school or from the get-go. Mm-hmm. I think there's we sugarcoat the amount of bias that there is in the world and it really hinders people from making up their own opinions and truly doing research that benefits them and their opinions and whatever it is that they stand for, which I think is like a really, really big point. And I also think that 
it's obviously a different conversation, but it's on the part of regulation. There's absolutely no excuse for companies like Facebook and Twitter or news articles to, uh, to have that much misinformation or bias in their information and not be regulated, or at least not telling the people that are going to subscribe to them and read them that there is bias. I think you sound so morbid, Sally. <laughs> I felt that you made such a good point, but like that sounded so morbid. Like, you know, it, it is up to us now and like personal responsibility is so important, just like you said. But I think that there are so many like media companies now that are starting to kind of bridge that gap. Like I mentioned earlier, like I know for us, for our podcast, when we research or our articles, we love anything that is done by like Crooked Media, any of their work, like small media companies like that, that are super trusted and, and viable and vetted, which, you know, takes time if you're not necessarily like an established company, but they are a great source for anyone who's like in, interested in podcasts, political podcasts, or articles, or news in general. Like they are a really good source of like, what's going on specifically in like the White House or, you know, like a rundown of the day. And I think like finding sources like that take time. And because, you know, like you have to establish that like kind of trust, like to first vet them and see like, you know, are they really telling the truth in this situation? But I think that it is possible. I'm like, I just don't want like your listeners to be like, oh my God, it's like the end of the world. Because yeah, like, right. we're, you know, we're political science majors, we're pessimists, but like, no, there's hope. I, also, I, didn't, I didn't mean to sound morbid, but I also, like, I feel people listening to this podcast, like people need to know that like, you have to be willing to really, really search and hold yourself to a better standard of how it's much work. It's so much exactly. work. Exactly. And I feel yeah. like people don't know that enough and it's sugar-coated almost. And it's funny to hear you mention Crooked. My husband is a diehard Crooked Media fan. There's a lot of pod save everything <laughs> no in our way. house and 538 <laughs> polls every night while we're making dinner. Those podcasts and those media companies are not targeted towards kids. We talk yeah. about teaching kids and that's low hanging fruit. Like, of course, ni- kids need to learn how to recognize misinformation. They need to learn how to do everything in the real world. I think Perhaps the even bigger problem with misinformation is that it's fooling adults, myself included. Yeah, I was going to say, you yeah. all could give a masterclass it really, to adults. Especially this. adults that grew up without the internet when right. everything looks so official. And it is not the fault of the adult that is working the website who never learned to recognize. Like if you grew up at a time when anyone who published a newspaper article was an expert and had to be vetted and the internet was introduced to you as an online newspaper. Like I think sometimes our expectations of people being able to recognize what's high quality information that they can trust and what's not, we can teach kids to do it. And that's one thing, but we have a huge amount of our voting population that doesn't have those tools and we don't know how to give those tools to them. And it almost feels unfair that we say things like, well, you better learn to educate yourselves because there's a part of me that's like, but how? How do we do that? That is what makes me feel a little bit morbid when you talk about being optimistic versus versus pessimistic. Like you put training those kids in the hands of the teachers, we can do it. We've got that. But what do we do for everybody else who wants so much to recognize a good resource versus a bad one, but doesn't necessarily have the tools and doesn't know how to learn? And I think you're being generous for teachers as well. (laughs) 
I mean, not that teachers are bad, but you know, it's, I think it's a, we've admitted that it's a struggle for us, right? Things yeah, are changing so quickly that it's, it's always hard to stay on top of whatever the latest trend is out there to fool us. It's a good point. I got cocky. Sorry. <laughs> no, I like, completely agree. And I think that like, this is going to sound like maybe I'm 40, but you know, print media, like, okay, it's dying, but it's not dead yet. And to me, like, I'm like the weird one of my friend group. I like reading newspapers and I think they're so interesting. People think I'm like strange or whatever, but. Oh, I, I think they're know. coming back. I think you're ahead of the curve. <laughs> oh. I don't think we're saying goodbye to news, maybe magazines, because how useful were they ever, but sorry, magazine no, people, but newspapers, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, I, I completely get what you're saying. And like, you know, that is like a huge question, I think that we've talked about as well, like Sally and I, and it's also really hard, because it's like for those, it's like for the people who already might not necessarily want to be on the internet to begin with. So like, mm-hmm. why would they want to take the extra time to learn how to do that? So I think it has to come from like a place of like, of want, of like desire to like actually like understand, like go beyond what you're seeing and like understand the bias. And that's not something that like everyone in the demographic that you're talking about might necessarily have. And I like honestly don't have the answer to that. Like I wish I did. I feel like if we did, then like it would be a lot easier to educate people. We could charge a lot for this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like (laughs) Number one on the charts, for sure, if you knew the answer. <laughs> no, and I think, I think it gets even more complicated because, and, and obviously teachers do the best they can, and obviously they themselves have, and not just them, curriculums, you know, have to start mm-hmm. catching up with what's going on. But politicians have gotten so, so good at what they do mm-hmm. that it's almost like we're doing them a favor. And that's the part that gets scary, like in me and Mary's realm where, of politics and why we feel like we had to do FTP to begin with. I think a lot of us who do pay attention to what's going on, we're having news fatigue, like we're just overwhelmed by the amount of stuff. Mm -hmm. And we have, you know, the election coming up next week, which I don't know if this podcast will get out before then, but we'll certainly, (laughs) there'll be repercussions from that. And I'm just wondering, what do you do to keep yourself sane, basically? Oh, I mean, I think it's so nice that you think that we're sane, like, first of all. <laughs> exactly. As political science majors, I don't think that that we get to get that title, but thank you. Um, for me, the biggest thing, I think, is definitely emotional detachment, because so much of what's going on in the news directly affects us. And before, I think it was harder because these media outlets didn't directly link what was going on to how it directly affected us. Now I feel like that's becoming more and more of a trend, especially on social media, like on the platforms that, like Facebook and Twitter, where the media companies have like more leeway to publish like lots of stuff. So especially like during the summer when a lot of things were going on in terms of like racial protests, like the Black Lives Matter movement and everything, it was really, really difficult because every single day there was like a new like a new headline, like a new topic that we're talking about. But just in general, I feel like emotional detachment is so important. Even though I, I can get like that it's really difficult, like like I'm not saying I do it all the time very well, especially knowing the direct in, in like reper- repercussions, oh my goodness, like <laughs> what happens with some of the policies that are li- like labeled out in the news. 
But that is a huge one for me because without that, I feel like I would just be living in a really sad, depressing world all the time Mm -hmm. (laughs) if I just like was always emotionally attached to what I was hearing. And that's definitely easier said than done for sure. Like that has taken me a long time, especially because that's what I do in class and that's what I do out of class as well. But I mean, I think it's worth it when you get to that point where you know, like, okay, like this is happening, but like, I'm like, I heard about it. Like, I'm going to go do this instead. Like, I'm going to go focus on this and like not be thinking about that right now. Miriam brings up a really good point. Emotional detachment is very, very important. But also, I think right now specifically, you have to remind yourself that this is like a truly one of a kind, like election year. First of all, we're in the middle of a global pandemic and I like I can't begin to explain or understand how that's affected so many people in different ways. And I think for the first time an election is like the cost of an election for so many people is actually life-changing. And me and Mary, you know, it's not hard to detach yourself from conversations about taxes and property or like stuff like that, but I think for the first time, especially after the summer with Black Lives Matter or, you know, I can't even start to like healthcare, all of these things that are like to say life or death, you know, I think, again, it gets harder to emotionally detach yourself, but I think you have to care enough that you're talking about it with other people and then you're conversating. I mean, not you're going past conversating and like getting people to vote and making sure that um, you're trying to educate people as much as you can, but it can't become your whole life. Like find a hobby, spend an hour reading a book, do things, I know it sounds corny, but do things that make you happy because those things are still going to exist. You know what I mean? No matter what's going on in the election and politics and the world, those things are going to exist. And if you can find those moments where you're not thinking about it, it starts becoming a lot easier. I think like also for me, it's like stepping away from technology is so important. Like I think that not being on my phone or like not turning on the TV, like when a lot of things are going on kind of helps shield me away from whatever news is going on at the time. I know like most of us probably by now like get our news through like our phones or like our computer or TV like network or something. So I think that's like a very tangible way to, you know, get a little get rid of a little news fatigue, especially because if you're always on your phone like I am, like I'm trying to do better, but if you're always on your phone or like watching like TV all the time, then it's, especially like news networks, it's always going to be around you. And if you just take yourself out of the situation, then you'll definitely start to feel like, you know, more calm and relaxed and not necessarily feel bombarded with what's going on. So I think that's like more of like a tangible step, I think. And I know this is kind of going the other way. um, But my final note on this is like, when we get asked, how do you deal with the information that's coming in and the amount of information that's coming in? And just like, not, not the, like the sadness or I guess the hopelessness that can be felt in politics sometimes. And it's hard for me to answer this question because I understand that it's an important question, but sometimes I feel guilty answering it because it's such a privilege to be mm-hmm. able to step away from yeah. politics or, or what's going on, even if it's not like based in politics, whatever's going on that's affecting you that much, it's, it's very much a privilege because at the end of the day, Yes, there are things that are going on right now that could affect my personal life, but it's not to the extent where I personally feel like like I can't go take an hour to think about something else. But reminding yourself, if you are in a place of that privilege to consider, okay, what can I do to step away? 
remind yourself that you're lucky that you're in that place to begin with. And that, that's the silver lining out of anything. You know what I'm saying? So. And if you do have the privilege to step away, use that as a time to restore so that when you come back in, you're, you're more ready than ever. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, use that, use that privilege responsibly. Yes. Well, I am blown away by you too. Yes. So thankful that, so you, true. that we got connected and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having us. Like, this is such a cool podcast. Like I was telling you guys earlier and I, I think this is so cool that you guys even asked us to have us on. So thank you. Yeah. Well, we'll have to do it again. Well, oh, we we'll make it a regular cross series thing. Yeah. Ooh, I like it. I like it. <laughs> and everybody cross their fingers for the election next week. And if this comes out in time and you haven't yet, please vote. And if you have voted, you can sit back and feel great about the fact that you participated in democracy and used your ultimate privilege and responsibility as an American citizen and whatever the outcome is, you played a part in that. And that's pretty great. Until next time. Tech, love, and happiness. 